Yeah, as Chris said, it was 2018 that we started doing evening services in Haven area, having um, outgrown the building where we were. And uh, in 2019, we then went to uh, morning services. I'm just so thankful for Pastor Chris and for Pastor Sandy as well and their faithfulness and uh, all that God is doing in through them. And uh, it's just great. It's great to come. I was over in Haven uh, this morning. My wife, Kirsty, sends her love. She would have loved to be here, but she's in kids' church this morning. And uh, our children as well. Gracie is 14. And she was the age that Tiffany was when we planted church. That was the age that she was. And she's now uh, 14, uh, going to be 15 in January. We've got Evie, who's 12. And uh, Jenna, who keeps reminding me that she's going to be 8 in November. So she's going to be 8 in November. I will not forget that. Um, But it's great to be able to be here. And I'm just going to continue in the flow of what we've been speaking on. We've been talking about House of Prayer. And, uh, of course, that comes from the moment where uh, Jesus goes into the temple, into the synagogue, and he says, you're turning this into a den of robbers. But actually, my house should be called a house of prayer. And so we've been talking about what that means for us as individuals, but also what that means for us corporately uh, as a group and as a church. And so we've been focusing on prayer, knowing that we're all at different places with it. But that's okay. We can journey together, and probably all of us would say, There's more of God that I could experience in prayer, right? Anybody feel that? I know that's true for myself as well. All of us say, I I know what it is to pray, but I believe I could experience more of God in prayer. And so, so far, uh, we've looked at what is prayer. Pretty foundational question, but it's important that if we're going to focus in on it for a few months, and we kind of need to know what it is, right? So Pastor Carla uh, came and shared, I know, here in Waterlooville on what prayer is. And then we spent a week looking at the answer that Jesus gave to his disciples when his disciples said, would you teach us how to pray? But they'd seen something about his prayer life that was different, something about his prayer life that was powerful and unique. And they said, would you teach us how to pray like you pray? And so in response, he gave them this prayer that was never meant to actually be a prayer that we religiously recite, but it was a framework for prayer to show us what prayer is all about. And then a couple of weeks ago, last week, we obviously had Global Sunday, which was incredible in all of our congregations. Um, But a couple of weeks ago, we spoke about personal prayer. And we spoke about that secret place. Remember that secret place of prayer with God and what it is to pray personally. Now today, I'm going to move on to talk about um, collective prayer. Often we term this corporate prayer. But whenever you say that to a new Christian or somebody who's new to church, they kind of look at you because when we talk about corporate People think of banking or people think of business. So when we talk about corporate prayer, we're not talking about praying for banks or praying for businesses. We're talking about praying together. And just as I said a couple of weeks ago, our focus was personal today. Uh, We're talking about praying in groups or praying as a church. So let me start off by sharing on account um, that wasn't the greatest moment of my life. And it's going to seem a bit random when I share this, but there's a context to it in terms of what we're communicating this morning. A few years ago, it was about, I think, about 2016, I was on a train going to London with a friend. There was something that we needed to do. And so I'm just on this train journey, and suddenly I need the toilet, as you do at one time or another. And so I walked through the carriage to the disabled toilet. There was this big toilet, and if you've ever been on a train with one of these toilets, it's huge. And so you press the button, and the, the door opens. You walk in. I walk in. I close the door. I make sure that it's locked. I double check that it's locked. And I go and I go to the 
toilet. I'm not going to obviously go into that. You can kind of work that out for yourself. And, I, and I'm sat there, and all of a sudden I hear this sound. And instantly I know what that sound I look up at the door, and this door, which I know was locked, I double-checked, I triple-checked that this door was locked, suddenly, instead of being that red button, is now showing up green. And, I'm sat, and suddenly the door begins to slowly open. Now, how many remember Blind Date from like the 80s or the 90s? Anyone remember Blind Date? It was still a black. And what would happen is in this dating show, the doors would go back and the people would meet each other for the first time. So suddenly this panic comes upon me and I go towards the door and this is like some horrific Blind Date moment as the door's opening and, and the other side of the door, I see this woman's face and she kind of yelps and reacts and starts pressing the button to try and close it. I'm on the other side pressing the button frantically and, and what's happening and as we're both pressing this button it's opening and closing opening. I'm like oh dear God please help me in this moment and, and eventually I just say can, can you stop pressing the button I pressed the button it closed I thanked the Lord did what I needed to do washed my hands opened the door and as I walked through the carriage I knew she was there and I just kept my head down refused to look at her I think she was just like head down as well and I go back to the seat I told my friend who just mocked me and laughed at me and that's a good friend isn't it? but I say that it seems random the reason I say that is because that was embarrassing, that was awkward, and I never want to experience that again. As a pastor people, and I talk about praying together, a lot of people feel, having had experiences of it, that it's awkward, that it's embarrassing, and they'll do anything that they can to avoid being in a situation where they have to pray with others. And so we want to speak into that today because so many people view it as awkward. So many people view it as praying in a group as embarrassing. So many people view it as something they want to avoid. And so they think, I'll pray on my own, but I don't want to pray with others. And that's why often, as we've said in this series, if you stick prayer and attach prayer to anything in church, that's a great way to make sure that you're reducing your numbers. Right? So you, you say, we're going to do a barbecue, we're going to do a social event, but church will come out. You say, we're going to do a social event, and at the end, we're all going to pray together. Suddenly, the, the numbers kind of plummet. Thank God that that culture is changing within family church in each of our locations as we put the focus in on prayer, that we want prayer not to just be foundational, but ingrained in everything that we're about. So today, as we talk about corporate prayer, I want to look at two facets. Why we should pray together, and secondly, what's involved when we pray together and look at some of the practicalities. So let's begin with the why behind the what, the theology behind the practice. Why should we pray together? One of the key reasons that we should pray together is because the early church modelled for us what it was to pray together. Right? If you want to look at a time in church history when the church was exploding in growth, when there were signs and wonders and miracles happening every day, not just when they go every single day, not just in the temple, every day, if you want to see a time when God's power was moving, if you want to see a time when people understood that word community and unity like never before, then all you have to do is go back to the days of the early church, to the very beginning of the church. And that church knew what it was to pray together, right? Now that should be of no surprise to us because the church was birthed out of a prayer meeting. What were they doing? When the day of Pentecost came and when the church began, they were in the upper room, they were seeking God together, they were praying together, and out of that moment came the early church as the day of Pentecost came and the Spirit came and the church was birthed. And as you look on in the book of Acts from that moment, they were continually coming together to pray. 
right? It wasn't something that they said, okay, let's try and find somewhere on our calendar, our church calendar, somewhere where we can slot in prayer. Prayer was central. Everything about their ministry flowed from that place of prayer. In other words, it wasn't an optional extra. It was the very central thing that they were about, and everything flowed out of that. Acts 2, 42. says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They devoted themselves. They were wholehearted to a number of different things, including what it was to pray together. And yet the reality was that's what they were like even before the day of Pentecost or even before that moment when the Holy Spirit came. Acts chapter 1, verses 13 to 15, let's read that. It says, when they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. It lists some names. It says, verse 14, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women and the brothers of of Jesus. The early church were constantly united in prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. And that wasn't just praying personally, that was praying together as a group. The early church saw the importance of this. Now here's a few examples as you journey through the book of Acts. They prayed together when they needed wisdom. Right? There's a moment where Jesus ascends and they're looking at the apostles and they said, we need to replace Judas, who obviously has betrayed Jesus and has now died. And so they, two men rise to the surface, Joseph and Matthias. And they, they, they say, how are we going to decide? And so they pray. They seek God's wisdom. Acts 1, 24 says, when they, then they all prayed, O oh Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen. Now, we might question whether they actually heard God correctly. Because as you read through the book of Acts, you don't really hear of them again, but you see Paul rising to the surface. But in that moment, they didn't probably believe that it would be him, Saul the terrorist, persecuting Christians, but it would be the one who would rise up. But the point is this, when the early church needed wisdom, they gathered together and they prayed. How many of you know we need wisdom, right? As we're looking to grow God's kingdom in Waterlooville and different areas, we need God's wisdom. We can't do this in our own strength and our own ability. We need the wisdom of God, And when we gather together and ask for it, God promises to grant it. They prayed together for boldness. In Acts chapter 4, the church came together and prayed, Give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. How many people know we need boldness, right? In a day and an age where truth is being diluted, in a time when truth is being watered down, we need great boldness to preach the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we need to pray as a church, Holy Spirit, give us power. Give us boldness as a group. They prayed together for their leaders, Acts 14, 23. It says, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. We need to pray for church leadership, praying for pastors Chris and Sandy, praying for the eldership of Family Church, praying for leaders. They also prayed for breakthrough. Now, one famous prayer meeting in the book of Acts is in Acts chapter 12, where uh, there's a moment where James, the brother of John, has been murdered for his faith, and Peter has been thrown into prison. And many of you know the account that they gather together for prayer. Now, in that moment, many today would probably have hidden away, shrunk back, decided, oh, we should probably stay low for a little while. But what do they do? The Bible says, Acts 12, verse 5, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. And so we get that moment that 
almost seems comedic when you read it in Acts chapter 12, where they're holding this prayer meeting, you read on, and Peter miraculously escapes from prison, and God just causes this to be a miracle, and he arrives at the house where they're praying, and Rhoda, the servant girl, goes to the door, goes back to the prayer meeting, says, it's Peter at the door, and we know their response, they say, well, no, no, it can't be Peter, because Peter's in prison, and they're in a prayer meeting praying for Peter to be released and Peter's at the door having been released by God. But the point is this, when the church needed breakthrough, when the church were in a moment where they needed to see something happen, they didn't moan, they didn't quit, they prayed. And they prayed not just, they didn't just send out a, you know, obviously they didn't have WhatsApp or whatever, but they didn't send out a message and say, can you all just pray in your heart? They came together because they understood there's power when we come together and pray. They said, no, Peter's in prison. This has just happened. Let's get together. Let's pray earnestly and let's see a breakthrough in this situation. So one of the reasons that we should pray together is because the early church modeled this for us with amazing results. Here's another reason. Praying together builds unity. There's just something about praying together that deepens relationship and builds unity. Right? Whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in a friendship, whether it's a connect group, whether it's the church as a whole. When the church comes together, when people come together, when couples come together, when families come together and pray, there is a deepening of relationship and a building of unity. You see, when we pray with others... Suddenly all our, our me-centered thoughts and agendas get put to the background for one moment. And we concentrate on what we're bringing together to the throne of God. And so all of a sudden we're not coming with our own will, we're coming in the light of God's will. You know what happens when we do that together? We're drawn together. And suddenly there's a deepening of relationship where accountability grows, vulnerability grows. We grow in grace and mercy towards one another and suddenly relationships get deeper because we're praying together. You know, one of the great changes we've seen in our Haven congregation since COVID, and it took place in the midst of COVID, we said, you know what, we are just going to pray together like we have never prayed before. We've always been a praying congregation. We'd always have prayer events, but we said, we're going to pray together like never before. And, and so women started praying together on a Wednesday morning. Men started praying together on a Thursday morning. The church started praying together at different times. And, and we just would make it cultural that we were going to pray. When there was a need, we wouldn't just moan about it. We wouldn't talk about it. We said, you know what, the first thing we're going to do when we're presented with a need is we're going to pray. And we started to pray together more and more and more. And unity has grown like never before as a direct result. Kirsty and I are facing far less pastoral issues now than we ever were. What's the answer? Unity in prayer. But when people come together in prayer, it's amazing how you can have an issue with somebody, you start praying together, God just melts that issue away because there's something that happens when you pray together. Praying together builds unity. It also builds faith. I don't know about you, but when I passionately pray with other believers, it stirs my faith. It builds my faith. We live in a world that is faithless, right? We live in a world that is dark. We work in workplaces that are, that are carnal and, and negative and so on and so on and so on, which is why we need to be building up our faith, building up the spirit man of who we are. And that comes through praying alone, absolutely. That comes through praying in the spirit, as we'll look at later in this series. But it also comes through praying together. And when you pray with others, 
whether it's a couple, whether it's a group, whether it's the whole church, God begins to speak to each other through other people, right? And the Holy Spirit, if you've ever been praying together with somebody, the Holy Spirit will often speak to you through somebody else about something he's already been speaking to you about. Because we've got to understand, we've got the same Holy Spirit, okay? It's not like you get different downloads and upgrades and different levels of the Holy Spirit. We've got the same Holy Spirit. And so when we gather together in unity and we begin to declare God's Word, Scripture says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. When you are praying together and somebody begins to speak Scripture, when somebody begins to quote God's Word, when, where even as we've been in worship this morning, and the word of God has been quoted. Faith rises up within you because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And when we pray together, not only does it build unity and relationship, it also inspires and builds faith. Here's another reason. Praying together enables us to experience God's glory and see the miraculous. How many of you, we want to see the miraculous, right? We want to experience God's glory. There's an amazing moment recorded in 2 Chronicles chapter 6 into 7 and this is a moment where um, Solomon's temple is being dedicated to God and in amongst this group Solomon prays this faith-filled heartfelt prayer let's read it together it's starting in 2 Chronicles chapter 6 verse 40 it says oh my God may your eyes be open and your ears attentive to all the prayers made to you in this place and now arise, O Lord God, and enter your resting place along with the ark, the symbol of your power. May your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation. May your loyal servants rejoice in your goodness. O Lord God, do not reject the king you have anointed. Remember your unfailing love for your servant David. When Solomon finished praying, fire flashed down from heaven and burnt up the sacrifices and offerings, and the glorious presence of God filled the temple. The priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glorious presence of the Lord filled it. When all the people of Israel saw the fire coming down and the glorious presence of the Lord filling the temple, they fell face down on the ground and worshipped and praised the Lord saying, He is good and His faithful love endures forever. You say, well that's Old Testament. Okay, New Testament, Acts 4 verse 31. And when they had prayed, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. Great moves of God are always preceded by prayer. Not just in the Old Testament, not just in the New Testament. You read books today of modern day revivals. And I'm not just talking about where a group of people gathered and had long service. I'm talking about when there was revival and salvations were happening and healings were happening. When there were revivals, it always began because people gathered together and prayed. You read books and revivals that happened here and there, and, and it just began with, with sometimes just three or four people gathering together and praying and praying and praying and praying, and they were seeing nothing happen. And so we're just going to keep praying and seeing nothing happen, and just going to keep praying, and all of a sudden revival came, where God's presence was so real and true. God's greatest works often come when Christians gather together in fervent prayer. See, you can have all the greatest church strategy in the world, and I'm not against strategy and knowing where we're going. You can have all the, the, the best equipment in the world, and I'm not against equipment. But 
in order to see change, we need God's power, right? Do we agree with that this morning? We need God's power if we're going to see any renewal, any revival in Waterlooville, in Haven, in Portsmouth, in Gospel, in Water, anywhere where God calls us to meet and to gather and to set up communities of faith. We need the power of God. And a church desperate to see a move of God in them and through them will always be a praying church. Right? If we, don't want, if we just want to do a social club, we don't need prayer. If we just want to hang out and and sing some songs, we don't need prayer. But if we want to see God's power, if we want to see breakthrough, if we want to see the addicted set free, if we want to see change in our communities where we don't just see salvation, but we see transformation in the area of Waterlooville, we need to be a praying church. We pray together because the early church modeled that posture to us. We pray together because it builds unity in faith. We pray together because when we do, we experience God's glory and we begin to see the miraculous. Okay, let's get practical for a moment. What's involved in praying together? What does that look like or what should that look like when we actually come together and pray? And what's our personal role in it? Because we can talk about everybody else, but what's our personal role in collective prayer or praying together? When we pray and gather together, whatever form that takes, here's one thing, we should all speak the language of faith. Right? Last week, in all of our locations for Global Sunday, it, it was so powerful and, and, and amazing to hear people praying in their own native tongue. There's just something that's personal and powerful about it. And so in Haven, we had, I don't know, seven or eight different languages, people just praying and crying out in their own voice, in their own native tongue. And, and so we can all speak different languages maybe, but when we come together, we should speak one common language of faith. When we pray, faith is so key. And I'm not going to dwell on this too much because I know next week we're talking about faith and prayer and so I don't want to take what people are going to share next week. But this is important because we've got to understand that collective prayer is an environment of declaration, right? Declaring God's promises, declaring what God has spoken. Collective prayer is also a place of interceding. Interceding, we step in the gap between God and people, between God and situations, between God and community. We say, God, your will be done in this life, in this community, whatever it might be. Collective prayer is a place of agreement, right? Do we agree with that this morning? Collective prayer is a place of agreement, agreement with God and with each other. So when we come together to pray, we're focused on God, not on our problems. So that means that when you're in a, in a collective prayer meeting, it may be two of you, it may be five of you, it may be the whole church. When we are praying together, we don't suddenly come in when everybody else is speaking a voice of faith and we suddenly say, oh God, this world is just so terrible. I don't know if we're going to survive. I don't know if we're going to make it. And, and you know, I know my brothers and sisters have prayed with so much faith in this moment, but God, me and you know this is never going to happen, right? What this woman's praying for, it's never going to happen. And suddenly you, you, you just pull down the entire room. When you're praying and faith is rising and somebody just comes in and cuts across and pulls down the room, we need to be people of faith. Now, when they gathered together to pray in the book of Acts, they were praying with a language of faith. That didn't mean that they weren't going through stuff. It didn't mean that they were burying their heads in the sand and ignoring what was going on. They were facing persecution. They, they weren't able to gather like this in the sense of being so that they were going to be, you know, d- dying or killed, crucified, whatever, for their faith. 
And yet they gathered together and they said, let's pray. And let's pray with faith. Oh God, you can do this. Oh God, you're the one who's done this. And they prayed with the language of faith. So when you're praying, if you don't personally feel you can be in that, you know, raising your voice in faith, just be present and be in agreement in that place of faith. Here's another practical reality when it comes to prayer gatherings. Stay on topic. Right? Let, let me just explain what I mean by that. Be guided by the person who is leading the time of prayer. And ultimately, obviously, the per, the, we hope that the Holy Spirit is the one leading the time of prayer, but through the person who's positioned in that place of leadership. What, what I mean by that is, so often when you've been in a prayer meeting, you can sense that there's a flow of the Spirit going in a certain direction. And so it may be that, you know, you're praying for healing, and, and so God's just given verses and different thoughts and, and, and prophecies and different things, and there's a flow that's going in that area of healing. And the Holy Spirit will gently move it to another direction or whatever it might be, and there'll be a flow. You're praying for this, you're praying for that. If you suddenly come in and pray just a random prayer that has nothing to do with the flow of what God's Spirit is doing in that moment, it's like you're driving along on a motorway in the outside lane, and you suddenly pull up a handbrake. Try that. It doesn't go too well, Right? And that's what it can do. It can just kill the momentum of a prayer gathering of what God is doing in that moment. And I know this is incredibly practical, but it's important that we know these things because often God's Spirit is doing something and we're in the flow of it and all of a sudden you can pull up the handbrake because you think, well, I want to pray about this. The time will come that God will open up that moment for you to pray about whatever it is. Just be present and stay on topic. Here's another important point. Don't use collective prayer as your personal platform. Jesus made it very clear in his teachings that prayer is not a performance. Matthew 6 verse 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. So Jesus says that when we pray, it's not a performance. Right? That... that a, a, a collective prayer should never be our personal platform. It's not a place to show off how spiritual you are, how many scripture verses you know, how many prophecies you can share. It's not a place of, of raising yourself up. As we sang earlier, it's about raising Jesus up in the midst of that. And Jesus spoke these words at a time where people were using prayer as a personal platform. And so they'd go into the synagogue or the temple at that time of public prayer and they would pray out loud in such a way to be seen by others other people he talks about street corners and you may think well that seems a bit random but there were dedicated times of prayer 9 a.m 12 p.m 3 p.m and what was happening at that time historically is that people would uh, kind of time their movements in order that at that time they would end up in a place that was a public pray place and so the clock struck nine twelve, and so they would have to pray in that moment and they would just happen to be in that position and pray publicly to be seen by men. Jesus knew this was going on. He says they've already received their reward because prayer is not a performance. He goes on verse 7. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do or the pagans do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. So the Gentiles in that time would often pray these really long prayers to the many gods that they believed in. And they thought that the longer the prayer was, the more attention they would get. They would often in those days repeat the name of that God over and over and over again. Again, thinking that that God would then give them undivided attention. Jesus says, don't do any of that because prayer is not a magic formula. 
Prayer is not a performance, and collective prayer should never be used as a personal platform. Let, let me at the same time deal with a, a bugbear of mine, and it's not for you guys, it's just environments I've been in. Don't be a prayer gossiper either. What, what do I mean by that, right? We, we've all been in moments of prayer, let's just be real for a moment, where people know that gossiping is wrong, right? Because it's in the scripture, you can't argue with it. It talks, don't gossip, don't And so what they do is they shroud their gossip in prayer because then that's holy gossip. And so you may be in an environment where somebody prays and everybody's praying and all of a sudden somebody uses, again, a, a public um, prayer as a personal platform in that moment. But they, they want everybody to know that they know what's going on in the church or they know what's going on in that connect group or that people, or whatever it might be. And so they'll say something like, oh, and Lord, we just bring... Um, there's, okay, there's no one called Hilda here, is there? Okay, anybody called uh, Trevor? No, okay, we're safe. So they'll say something like, we just bring Hilda and Trevor before you, Lord. A lot of the church aren't aware of this, but I know that they are struggling in their marriage because of Trevor's behavior, Lord. And, and it's just terrible behavior that he's showing. And Hilda's very upset, and many people don't know about it, but I do. And, and, and oh, when I hear that in a prayer meeting, or a, anyway, I, I talk to him afterwards. And, but it, we cannot use prayer as an environment to let everybody else know what we're doing. You say, well, I want to pray for them. Okay, what do you say? You say, because God knows. God knows before we even open up our mouths. So we say, okay, God, I just want to pray for marriages in our church community. God knows the need. God knows what is needed in that moment. But so often people are so using prayer as a personal platform, whether it's how many scriptures they know, whether it's the, the, the way that they pray, whether it's they want everybody to know that they know what's going on in the church community. Let's use prayer in the way that the early church used prayer and see God move through it. Here's something that we should do. Do raise your voice. Remember that collective prayer is about declaration and there is power in the people of God raising their voice. You see all throughout scripture this phrase, they raised their voice in prayer. They lifted their voice in prayer. Now that doesn't mean that you have to be loud. It doesn't mean you have to shout because this is about less about volume and more about declaration. But it's about you can be one of the quietest people and yet lift your voice in prayer, in declaration and faith in what you're believing for. So it might be that right now you aren't comfortable praying out loud in a way of leading the prayer. Often I say, you know, people say to me, oh, I'm not comfortable praying out loud. I said, but you were at that prayer meeting and you were, you were praying. Yeah, yeah, but I'm not comfortable praying out loud. And what they mean by that is they're not comfortable to raise their voice in a way that leads the direction of the prayer and, and what is happening. And that's okay. Because as I said, we're all on a journey with it and the more you're in this environment, God will grow you that you may feel that you're able to pray in such a way like that. It comes through practice. And sometimes we make everything else, you know, something that's practiced and we know it in the natural. But in the spiritual, often you have to practice things and grow in your confidence in order to see God work through you. It's the same if you feel like you've got a prophetic gift. In, that, that comes as you use that muscle, that spiritual muscle, and see God grow in it. But we can all be in agreement. We can all voice our great even the word amen so often we've reduced that to be in a way of telling god and other people that we finished our prayer it's like we clock out of our hotel we give in our card we say amen to let everyone else know but amen is is a powerful word of declaration 
and agreement in what God is doing. Here's a couple last things. Focus on what you can bring, not on what you can get. You know, too often we approach worship opportunities or prayer gatherings with a mindset of what can I get out of this rather than the correct mindset of what can I contribute to this. You know, it's true of our Sunday morning gatherings. So often people think, oh, but what can I get out of church today? And when we leave, if we haven't got anything, we feel like it was a wasted morning. Oh, I didn't feel like God spoke to me. I didn't feel like this happened. We shouldn't be focused on what can I get out of it. We should be focused on what can I contribute to this today. How can I serve the house of God today? The same is true with prayer. But when we pray together, focus on contribution. Don't walk away saying, oh, that was, you know, it shouldn't be judged by, that was such a powerful time. Praise God if it was. And I'm sure it will be. But our focus should be, what am I going to contribute? How was the church edified today? How was the church unified today in our time of prayer? How was faith stirred? And how are we believing God to move powerfully as a result? And here's my final point. Be expectant. I love this psalm, Psalm 5 verse 3. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and I wait expectantly. You know, whenever we pray together, it doesn't have to be in the morning, whenever we pray, we should then wait expectantly. We shouldn't be like the early church in the moment when they gathered and, and Peter turns up and they weren't even expecting the thing that they were praying for to actually come to pass. We should be like, um, like spiritual meerkats, right? You've seen meerkats and they, they're on their hind legs and they're looking up, they've got their hands like that, and they're looking up and around. Spiritually, that's how we should be on the inside. We should be saying, God, we brought this to you and we're expecting in the morning, Lord, in the afternoon, in the evening, I lay my request before you and I wait expectantly. I'm spiritually like a meerkat, waiting for what you are going to do in my life, in my community, and in my church, expectant of what's to come. You know, when we began Haven in 2009 and we planted out, and there was a group less than this that when we first met, we dedicated ourselves to prayer. We devoted ourselves to prayer. And, and I looked back just this past weekend, it felt like a significant Weekends, not only Global Sunday where we just had so many different nationalities and celebration and kids involved and all that kind of stuff in the building that we now own because God through his grace has enabled us to be in that building in a, in a venue where we're starting to outgrow it once again but even before that on the Friday and the Saturday we called an all night prayer and we said do you know what we're just going to pray and gather together and pray we're going to start at half nine after youth has finished and we're going to finish at half six in the morning now, sometimes when you do things like that, you kind of think, oh, I wonder if it's just going to be me and, you know, just this, this random person who happens to come up because they didn't realize anything else was happening or had nothing to do. But we gathered together, and when I walked in, the room was full, and we prayed, and we prayed, and words were coming, and all this stuff was coming. And I looked back at, on Sunday evening at a weekend where 40, 50 people had prayed throughout the entire evening. I looked back and saw a church that gathered on Sunday morning representing so many different generations, so many different nations in the building that God has blessed us with, having a community around us that are, that are changing that area of Lee Park and beyond. I, I, I think of this congregation planted out of that. And I look and I think that is nothing to do with natural ability. That is all to do with the grace of God and a people who will humble themselves and pray.
God promises that when we do, he will move, he will heal our land and move in a powerful way. So where do we go from here? We pray. If you're married, pray together. If you're friends, pray together. And, and you may say, well, that, that's awkward, that's embarrassing. As I said at the beginning, you work through those things. And as you commit yourself to prayer, prayer will cause relationships to deepen, will cause unity to grow. And as we pray together as a church, you know what spiritual gifts are born, and you're able to grow and, and move in those gifts, and God is glorified through it. So Sunday morning, you gather together and pray. And I know that's going to be more formalized, 10 o'clock. Uh, and let's lift our voices. Monday evening, as you heard earlier, at 8 p.m. on Zoom. Do you know, I, I love how God is not limited by technology. The other night at our Connect group, one, one person in our Connect group, because we still meet online for various reasons in our Connect group, and somebody said, oh, there's somebody at work and they've got shoulder pain and it's just really, they, they can't move their shoulder. It's really affecting their ability to work and enjoy life. And we said, let's pray. And so we prayed on that Zoom call on that night. And we got a WhatsApp message the very next day. She didn't know we were praying for her. She didn't know any of that. And the, the, the woman from our Connect group said, I saw this lady today and said, how's your shoulder? She said, amazing. I woke up this morning. There's no pain. There's total movement. God can move through Zoom, right? Even when you're not gathered together, even when you're not laying hands on that particular part, God can still move because he's moved by faith. So as we pray... Let's believe that we will grow in unity, that we will experience God's glory, and that we will see the miraculous. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, I just thank you for this congregation. Lord, I thank you for what you are doing in our midst. Lord, I thank you for Pastor Chris and for Pastor Sandy. Lord, I thank you for their faithfulness, their commitment, Lord, to what you have called them to do or for what you have placed in their hand. Father, I thank you for this growing family. Lord, I thank you for what you are doing, how you're bringing people together for such a time as this in this era of Waterloo. But Father, we know that we are nothing without you. We cannot do this in our own strength, in our own might, in our own ability. It all is by your Spirit. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we dedicate ourselves to being a people of prayer, to being a house of prayer, that we will see you move in power, that we will experience your presence and your glory, right from the very youngest, Lord, right to the very oldest. Father, every single one of us, that the children will know what it is to pray, that the children will know what it is to pray in faith, that, Father, you're going to deepen relationships as we gather together and pray, that, Lord, on those Monday evenings on Zoom, you're going to do something and continue continue to do something great and mighty. Lord, when we gather together on a Sunday morning, when we pray as husband and wife, when we pray as families, when we pray with our children, Lord, may you be glorified. Jesus, may you be lifted high as we gather together and pray. And just like the early church, Lord, may we see people added to our number daily. Lord, may we see salvation. May we see healings. May we see miracles. May we see communities turned upside down where they say, those people of God have reached our town. Those people who see towns and villages turned upside down are here. And Lord, may that be a present reality for us. Just as we close up this morning, I don't know every single one of you, I know a number of you, but I just want to give an opportunity for anybody here today, and maybe you're ready, you're walking with God, and that's great if you are, but if anybody here today has never made a commitment to Jesus to, to follow him, to give their lives to him. If anybody here 
has done that but has wandered away and you say, today I want to come back to him and I want to restart my walk with him. But I just want you to do one simple thing for me. I'm not going to embarrass you in this moment, but this is a moment where you can connect with God and say, that's me. For the first time, we're coming back to him. Then if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand just in this moment and I want to pray for you. If we're already walking with God, then that's amazing. That's brilliant. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for time well spent in your presence, Lord. And Father, I thank you for all that you've done, all that you are doing, and all that you are yet to do. For your glory we pray.